This is the I Read Comic Books podcast. I'm your host, Brian Murray. Joining me today, two gunslingers hell-bent on revenge, Kate Scotchless. Hello. And Kate Lamphere. Pew, pew. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, guys. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about the sixth gun as part of our Goodreads Book of the Month reading fiasco. But before we get into that, there are two questions that I have been instructed by our legal department to ask you. How have you been and how have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate Scotchless. I have been pretty good. I am enjoying this fine uh, Halloween day. It was beautiful and clear this morning, so I got to go out for a walk in the woods. And now it's kind of gloomy and that's okay, too. So I'm in here talking about comics with my friends. And then we're going to play Starfinder later. So like it's a good uh, indoorsy kind of day. So... To be festive, I read the Batman Little Gotham Halloween and Thanksgiving issue, which is apparently there's like a series of these hardcovers put out. I got this from my library for different holidays and each hardcover is like 24 ish pages. uh, So really, really small um, and covers two holidays. So each issue, quote unquote, is like maybe 12 pages. I like um, Dustin Nyan, who does these, and the other writer is Derek Friedolfs, um, with lettering by Seda, mm, gonna butcher it, Temofonte, maybe. But while the art is fun, the writing is rough. Like, there's no real story to be interested or not interested in in these, because they're mostly trying to have too much happen in too few pages. Like, less would have been more in this case. And I realize these are intended for, like, children. Um, They're very middle grade. But uh, as listeners of the show know, I read a lot of middle grade and really like middle grade. So while (laughs) I'm not the target audience, I also am not someone who's just going to be like, oh, this is for children, so it's not good. So, like, in the Halloween issue, Batman teaches Robin what Halloween is and trick-or-treating are, which could have been really fun, but it's like a two-panel explanation and just kind of like, well, okay. And then in the um, Thanksgiving one, the penguin crashes the Thanksgiving Day Parade to liberate his feathered friends from being eaten. And I'm like, (laughs) am I on the penguin side? I might be on penguin side on this one. Uh, And then like you you see him after he gets captured being served uh, turkey in prison as like the final thing. I'm like. Oof, wow. This is this is rough. That um, is that is way darker than I think they meant it to be. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So I don't know. For like a cute little thing from the library, it was fine. Obviously, 24 pages takes like no time to read. What I do think was interesting, probably the most interesting about the book was like at the back, um, there's a bunch of pages of questions for kids to be reading, but it's not just like printed questions. They'll have the frame or multiple panels that the questions are about in the back with the question and have like an arrow pointing to it. And a lot of them are kind of comics comprehension type questions, like pointing to a panel in which there's audio from the TV announcers and that audio is in like the zigzaggy box instead of a normal dialogue box. And it says, you know, why is this in in this shape and things like that, which I thought was cool as these being like more of a fun like way to teach kids sort of stories versus just for a fun sort of situation that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I feel like as as adult comic book readers, people who talk about comics as much as we do, we probably don't think about that kind of stuff anymore. Yeah, the things that just become you know when I notice it is when I'm reading manga and I don't know their versions of things sometimes and get confused like the visual shorthand they use exactly exactly like for the longest time i didn't realize that like just a bubble without an arrow to it was like not necessarily speech and stuff like that so that that was one of the things i read i also read sheets volume one by brianna thumbler which is middle grade and it's delightful in a sad way so like this will a little <laughs> bit break your heart uh It is about a girl who's uh, 13 years old, but is functionally had to grow up overnight because her mother passes away and she really is single handedly running the family laundry business um, and caring for her little brother because her dad is in like a really severe uh, major depression episode. And she just feels invisible um, at school, at work, just in general, and is really struggling. And in parallel, we see 
11 year old boy who's died and so he's a ghost and is literally invisible and he also wants to create a life for himself and be seen and it's one of these kind of worlds collide situation where he tries to set up a life for himself at the laundromat and accidentally in the process sabotages the life that Marjorie is like struggling to maintain and like not lose the family business not be unable to buy food you know stuff like that um, and so it's a story about like the two of them kind of pulling through and becoming seen by one another and their respective communities. And it's just so beautiful of a story, but also just a really beautiful, unique art style and color palette so that it's this sort of sad but cozy sort of read. And I'm definitely going for number volume two. Yeah, that sounds yeah. really good. It is. And there's like enough comedy so that you're not like just devastated constantly like uh the ghost boy is in ghost therapy um to get in like a group Aww. therapy to come to terms <laughs> with being being a ghost and all that and it's uh yeah it's it's good i think you'd really like it kate yeah i'll have to check it out i think i have that bookmarked on hoopla and i just haven't read it yet it is it has been on my list for a long time too to the point where i've i've definitely checked it out at least once Mm -hmm. but never actually got around to reading it yeah. because that's the thing I do. Yeah. yeah. And I did check it out thinking it would be like a Halloween thing. It is not Halloween like at all, even though he's a ghost, like it has zero Halloween vibes. So um, it, it is a good, like whenever you want to read it, read. Very cool. What about you, Kate? Yeah. I read bone parish volume one. This is by Colin Bunn with art by Jonas Scharf and colors by Alex Gumieras. And this focuses on a crime family that deals with a hallucinogenic drug that is derived from the ashes of the dead somehow. Oh, relatable. And... <laughs> well, <laughs> if you if you've seen iZombie, that's also like a theme. So this is just a whole a whole idea in pop culture now, I guess. Um, anyway, in this book, uh, the users can see the experience of the experiences um of the people that their ashes are from and exactly how this drug is created is like this big family secret and one that is starting to be revealed toward the end of volume one and there's um in addition to this whole drug thing <laughs> there's also drama within the family and also within criminal other criminal organizations and i'm not usually into that kind of story this like criminal underground idea but then the suggestion of this like supernatural element is really intriguing to me and then there's the coloring on the credits page and in these hallucinations and it's really vibrant and enchanting um which is really juxtaposed against how dark the rest of the story is and, yeah. and the rest of the art um but that actually like works really nicely like it is it is visually stunning and then it also matches the tone of the story very well and it makes it really easy to for me to understand why these drug users would want to seek out this drug because it makes it's such a difference like visually such a difference between um, their experience with the drug in color and then the rest of their lives in what is very dark i mean it's not black and white but it's very dark <laughs> um and I actually have a story about getting this book. I bought this at a C2E2 uh, con one year. Maybe this was even March 2020. I can't quite remember. Um, but it's it's been in my to-read pile since then. And I actually like talked to Colin Bunn at in the artist alley. And I was like, hey, I want to pick up one of your volume ones. What one do you like the best or recommend? I can't remember quite how I how I worded it. But he suggested this book to me out of his work cool yeah and there's more of it on, on hoopla too i think that there's oh my gosh at least at least one more volume maybe two more volumes and i i do want to keep going with this like it is it is dark in a in a not just visual way but the story is is really interesting to me yeah i wonder if there's any kind of like influence from uh the comic book chew because this sounds like a very a very similar premise but more like Instead of being like a, a, a cop, an investigator who uses this power to consume the dead and see what how they died, it is instead like a criminal organization monopolizing at a very similar power. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, and then like with the I, I mentioned that this idea is an iZombie too, and it just seems like it is a a theme kind of in this slightly darker 
horror genre right now. Yeah, I guess uh, maybe we're trending towards cannibals. Maybe that's going to be the next big thing. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, I hope not. You know, zombies are over. Vampires are over. We're doing cannibals now. Oh, no. Uh, well, for me, I finally got around to reading my backlog of We Only Find Them When They're Dead. This is my one of my favorite books from Al Ewing, Simone DeMeo. Uh, Color Assist by Maria Sara Miotti and Letters by And World Design. The book is is getting away from the the premise that I liked so much in the first one, where it's not so much about the mystery of like, what are these gods? Where are they coming from? It is now more about spycraft and intrigue, uh, which is not bad. It's just not what I came to this book looking for. That said, it is definitely still well written enough that i'm gonna keep going i I guess a a mild mild spoiler is the gods have stopped showing up after the final one arrived and so a a cult has sprung up around this final god corpse and so it's kind of about like what's going on with them and the the corporate interests that are trying to claim it for their own Huh. Um, like I said, it's it's still very interesting. It's just not quite the same as it used to be. Yeah, I mean, it does it does continue to be one of the most beautiful books I've ever seen, though. I mean the the line work, the colors, all of it is phenomenal. I really like the color palette they used. I haven't read as far as you you are, but I read the first volume and I remember really liking that. Yeah, they did a lot of very cool stuff in these two issues with like big broad splashes of red and white on the coloring to really make things pop yeah if, if you're not reading it i definitely recommend you check it out so moving on from there uh we've talked about what you have read what are you going to read uh let's uh start off with you kate lamphere uh okay so i have to say that laura olympus got pushed out so the real answer to this question is still laura olympus but um, I do want to call some attention to uh, Proctor Valley Road got collected and really is releasing this week. This is by Grant Morrison and Alex Child, and it's from Boom Studios. This is a story about um, it's set in the 70s, and it's about a d- diverse group of four kids that tries to set up like this spooky tour of the local haunted desert road in order to raise some money to go to a Janis Joplin concert. And of course, the hauntings end up not just being local myths, and they and the kids end up trying to save the day and make this concert. And so there's like extra tension here about like, are they going to be able to do this thing that they want to do and also not die? <laughs> um, and I actually read this as singles, Brian. I read I read your singles that you bought from the comic shop. So thanks. And, and have not read myself. <laughs> so maybe this will have to go onto my list too. And this is like a a good seasonal, like low gore, spooky read. I would I don't think that it's like quite a young kids book, but maybe like for teens, um, it's from Boom, so that pretty much gives you an idea of the the age uh, target age range of the book. Um, but it is a little bit spookier than than their normal fare. Cool. In terms of new releases, I actually I want to read this book called Passport by Sophia Glock. And it's a travel memoir about this girl that grew up with like actual CIA parents who had to move around a whole bunch. And so so this ends up putting this girl in a situation where she can't put down roots. She can't really get um, too personal with her friends. She always has to like deflect personal questions. And there's actually a disclaimer about how this is her personal story and she's not connected to the U.S. government in the first few pages. <laughs> so it's like, oh, this is real. Like part of me was like, this isn't real. This isn't an actual thing. And then <laughs> and then I looked at the previews and there's this disclaimer and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if, if Glock is a pen name because it seems too on the nose that there's yeah. a CIA couple with the last name Glock. Yeah, wow. Good, good point. Um, but but one of the reasons I want to read this, other than this really intriguing story, is that the color in the previews is really interesting. It's like it's like a one color printing, kind of like grayscale, except that the one color is like this this dark purple color instead of your typical gray. Um, so it looks really like really interesting. And then me working in publishing, I'm like, oh, they just spent like a little bit more money to make this art better and. I just really like that decision. 
So I'll have to track track this down. I think it is. I think it is from a smaller publisher. So I don't know. I don't know how easily I'll be able to get it, but I'm really interested in it. It's the internet age. You can get anything from anywhere. I yeah. mean, maybe <laughs> turns out how backordered it is with all right. the supply oh, chain with issues. Paper shortages yeah. and everything. Yeah. Well, what about you, Kate? I am excited to read Witches of Brooklyn, Volume 1. Um, you're thinking, like, this is definitely for adults, right? And no, it's not. It is a middle-grade OGN. I am no staying way. true to my colors. <laughs> I know what I'm about at this point in my life. Um, this is uh, art and writing by Sophie Escabais. Huh? Uh, it looks cute. Uh, so it's about a girl who goes to live with her aunts in Brooklyn after her mom passes away. And so she has a new home, a new school, new friends. And then she discovers that her weirdo aunts are even more weirdo than she thought. They can do magic and magic runs in the family. You guessed it. She's a witch and she's in Brooklyn. And so now she has (laughs) new magic too. And I'm sure stuff's going to happen and it's going to be delightful. So this is, this is what's sitting on my nightstand. I'm ready. I'd I'd love to know more about like why American culture is so fixated on witch ants. Like yeah. cuz that seems like it's always because the case. Because we're super confused and think it's something paranormal when women are older and single, um not married uh, to a man specifically. Yeah. Uh, so it is just like against the natural order of things to the point that it must be like they're wearing ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. They must be trucking with Satan. Exactly. Exactly. They have signed a book in their lives. Um, and no, this did remind me when I was reading the back, um, at the library, I'm like, Oh, like Sabrina, but I like that this is in Brooklyn. It is definitely not a high school situation. It is middle school. So I like these coming of age, uh, discovering you have powers. Um, Fred, way more, way more books and uh, comics than I can count at this point uh, with that basic premise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to put you on blast here, but I know I personally resonate a lot with those because as a weird kid, it was always fun to read things where the weird kid was actually special. Yep, exactly. Special and valued. Yeah. So not trying to, to drag you for no, no, I, <laughs> I have long since come to terms with uh, why, why fantasy in general is my what I gravitate towards and all that. Uh, I think this is on my to read list also, Kate. Um, it is definitely one of those books that like because I read certain OGNs on Goodreads, it was like you should read these other ones. And I looked at it and I'm like, you're right. Goodreads. I should read that. <laughs> It's like how Spotify keeps telling me to listen to the Mountain Goats. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, you're you're weird, depressed. <laughs> oh, actually, there's a there's a non-zero chance that I saw on my feed that Kate Lamphere added this to her to read uh, list, and I too then clicked it and put it as to read because I too was like, oh, that looks good. Like, there's a not insignificant number of books that are comics that I uh, find by seeing Kate's activity on my feed. So excellent. That's all I want. Well, for the sake of our listeners, I'm going to need you to start differentiating a little bit more. Uh, you're <laughs> both, you're both Kate. They need to be able to tell you apart. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Um, I can, I can, uh, I can talk lower. <laughs> I'll talk higher. <laughs> all right. Big Kate and little Kate. that's uncomfortable moving on (laughs) (laughs) well before we get into my pick for the week uh we do have a quick discord pick from our dear friend of the show danny pick for this week is human target number one comics are coming out on 11 3 that's november 3rd 2021 uh or november 2nd if you're dc uh my pick is hellboy the bones of giants number one and if this sounds like a thing that's making you go wait doesn't that already exist you're right it was a book that came out 20 years ago it was originally an illustrated novel by mike mignola series creator and author christopher golden Uh, this is a new adaptation of that story with art by matt smith and colors by chris o'halloran uh, and it appears to be a, a Norse mythology type thing. So we're really talking like frost giants and stuff like that. Uh, it's it's very interesting because uh, with God of War, the video game series coming back, yeah, 
Uh, I know that's very Norse mythology focused. So it's kind of interesting to see that like Norse mythology appears to be cresting the wave again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it comes and goes. So I'm curious at this point in the pandemic, when you guys say like what you're reading this week and stuff, are you guys going to your local comic book shop like in person? Are you still doing like curbside or are you talking just strictly digital polls at this point? What are you guys doing? I'm on a combo. I have a couple of digital subscriptions. Uh, for the most part, I still get my books in the local comic shop, but it's just kind of a pain to get there sometimes. Yeah. So the last couple of big piles I've gotten have been shipped directly to my house. Oh, nice. From the shop or from like your direct yeah. order? Yeah, from the shop. Oh, cool. I didn't even know that they did that. Yeah, I will politely ask Brian to add some things for me on occasion when he ships his comics, and then I'll end up owing him like $40. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, um, Kate, it's always, I've got one or two things. Can you get my pull list too? And then those things are hardcover graphic novels. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Trickery. I, yeah. I will also add things to my Hoopla wish list and then just kind of like keep them, like keep checking back or... Or I'll add things to my Goodreads li- wish list and then keep checking Hoopla to yeah. to wait, especially if it's like a boom or an image book. I know it's going to show up. So Okay, cool. Yeah, I've been doing almost exclusively physical from the library because um, I'm so done with screens by the end of the day that I don't want to, you know, I'm on the computer all day. Yeah. And so I prefer reading on paper. But the other thing being that like, the library is one of the few places I can go right now. So and like go inside and everything because they're requiring masks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go there all the time, even when I really don't need anything. It's just like a thing outside my apartment to do that isn't walking, like just walking around uh, paths and stuff like that. So it's just I end up there a few times per week. Something that's not wandering into the woods like an 18th century novelist. Yeah, like sometimes the weather just isn't conducive to that. Uh, We've had a lot of rainy days recently where I just went and wandered the library. elbowed the youth out of the way to get to their books, you know. Oh, that sounds like a great time. Maybe not the elbowing, but the wandering. (laughs) Yeah, I do have, I will say my library is extremely small because the city of East Lansing, uh, when you take away the college kids, like the undergrad student body is very, very small. So the actual uh, tax base for things like the local library is very small. Yeah, I I have also submitted like purchase requests to our library a few times for things that like like we had something recently that I that I said was my pick and Mm -hmm. it was something that it was like short stories from multiple people that were not white (laughs) yeah that were revolving around I think like the immigrant experience if I remember correctly and I put in a purchase request and the library actually got it so yeah I had such good luck with that at KDL in the um just the Grand Rapids public library system. But uh, so far, none of the things in digital or physical I've requested from East Lansing have actually gotten purchased. But I I know that their main funding situation is, oh my God, our building's falling apart and needs new everything um, in terms (laughs) of like roof and water boiler or whatever the things are, you know. So I'm guessing that they're not expanding the collection much at the moment. Yeah, getting a bunch of new books doesn't do you a whole lot of good if the ceiling collapses. Exactly, exactly. Very cool. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, we'll be talking all about The Sixth Gun. Pew, pew. This week, we are going to be talking about The Sixth Gun, but before we do, I just have one quick announcement. Time is running short to complete the IRCB Goodreads Reading Challenge for this year. Uh, At time of recording, you have about six weeks left. Uh, That will come to a close on December 16th, so if you would like to help us pick next year's January Book of the Month, uh, make sure that you get cracking. December 16th is the cutoff for that. So let's talk guns. Let's talk sixth guns. <laughs> this is, of course, got two our guns Goodreads. right here, Brian. <laughs> pow, pow. <laughs> wow. I can't, I, can't, I can't believe you're going to cold dead finger gun me like that. 
Uh, this is, of course, six-issue collection written by Colin Bond with pencils and letters by Brian Hurt. Colors mostly also by Brian Hurt with Bill Crabtree coming in on chapter six. Uh, so let's let's dig into it. Just a quick summary. This is the story of a guy named Drake Sinclair uh, going around trying to basically stop a zombie Confederate general from raising hell on Earth. That's uh, the the most sort succinct. Of. No spoilers. Isn't, isn't oh wait. Isn't these these discussions are always full spoilers? So like, yeah, put put that's that true, on your plates, true. lads. Uh, if you want to read this before, hit pause here. But okay, so isn't he also but trying to raise hell, but for himself? Like he also wants to unlock the vault, right? I think it's unclear if he knows what's in the vault or not. Yeah, that's the part that basically he thought it was treasure, but then when he realizes it's actually um demon treasure he's like hey, maybe not yeah and then we get the character of becky at the very beginning mm-hmm. who uh, whose dad or stepfather dies um trying to defend one of one of the six guns of power um and she uh, uh drake st Clair shows up on her farm as the general's lackeys are attacking and and her dad dies and um becky ends up kind of tagging along with with drake st Clair, and we find out that she's not just a mary jane she knows how to shoot a gun and she knows how to stand up for herself and you know Here, here's <laughs> the <tried>. thing <laughs> did that did you guys feel connected to these characters did they feel like fleshed out to you yeah i felt i felt connected to some of the characters like i i can see that we came in at the beginning or or at the middle rather of of the stories of all of these men all of the the confederate general and his wife and his lackeys and drake and in his pal uh bill john and so becky is like really the only character that we really like can connect with i feel like at the beginning um because she felt so two-dimensional to me yeah, I can see that. Like, I feel like they they did a good job at the beginning of her story of showing, or maybe not the very beginning, but like issue two and three of showing her as being a person rather than just like the woman of the story, yeah. you know, which is always a concern, especially in Westerns, um, especially because there's only like two female characters in the whole yeah. book. But I mean, yeah, I think that they made her strong to begin with. So then her like showing that she can shoot a gun and that she can defend herself um and that she can like i don't know interact with (laughs) interact with the other characters um with confidence like i that's not it felt believable to me but it also didn't feel like i could tell you anything about who she is what she likes and cares about in the world other than her pa who died (laughs) like i see that yeah so i guess to me that was why I didn't get that into this book because I, I didn't really connect with the characters particularly and there didn't seem to be much of any character development or growth. It was just kind of a shootout to, to shoot out, you know, bullet points of action mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, oh, pun intended. <laughs> but like part of it for me is just like, I'm just not into that into Westerns. So I think that also like I could definitely understand other people getting a lot more out of it if they're more into that. Whereas, like, definitely a fantasy person, so I did enjoy the weird West aspects of it. Mm-hmm. My favorite part is when the Thunderbird shows up at the very end of issue three. Like, that was a good twist. I was I was very here for the Thunderbird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought they did a really interesting thing with the Thunderbird, too. Yeah. I noticed that we never really get to see it until the end of that confrontation. Like, we just see it in shadows, or maybe we see, like, a mm-hmm. giant clawed foot. But it's not until its its power is being overcome that we actually get a full view of it shortly before it is blown to pieces. Yeah, I think I would have been more interested in the story if they went further into the like fantasy aspects. But that's like saying uh, I would have been more into this story if it was a different genre. <laughs> so that's not really a, that's not a criticism per se. That's more of a take take everything I say with a grain of salt because this is not the usual uh, river I swim in, you know? Yeah. If, if Reservoir Dogs had just been Jurassic Park, I would have liked it more. Exactly. Aww. Exactly. <laughs> Aww. Uh, 
Uh, it did make me realize uh, or remember that I still need to finish Pretty Deadly. Uh, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, I have not finished that book myself. Yeah. Um, I will say about this book that um, like, I feel like the end, the, the very final issue in this volume really does change things up for the characters. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it ends on a promising note for volume two. Um, like some of the some of the lackeys have died and Becky understands what this gun that she that she is now bound to has the capability to do both like as a weapon and then also to her like as a person like right. it can change a person. And then um, Drake understands that like this treasure that he's been going after is not what he thought it was. And then he also has ended up with like what four of the other guns yeah three mm-hmm. or four. and so like and, and, oh and then our and then our and then our perfect boy <laughs> um our, our boy bill john o'henry a man of three first names um has died but there's there's i, I want to talk about bill john but i'm going to finish this this okay <laughs> where um like a few of the the people in the goodreads group have also said that volume two gets better like becky gets more fleshed out um, okay and like the series continues and it like an even better way so i feel like maybe um volume one was just a lot of the exposition you know yeah but see i wanted more of the actual backstory like when we got the glimpses of like um the crusaders and stuff like that like oh give me more of that that part was what was intriguing to me of like give me more of like the world building around these guns but there was so little of that in proportion to the just pages and pages of shootout after shootout which is just not the part of the comic that i was into but it's interesting to hear that from the goodreads group maybe i will check out volume two i wasn't planning on it but yeah it's definitely much more of an action story than it is necessarily like a (laughs) contemplative character piece right so uh back to bill john o'henry then Uh, back to bill john bill john amazing name and i like that we're like just no hyphen no space we're bill john yeah i this guy actually felt a lot like john watson to me of the sherlock holmes story like he's the bowler hat gets you there yeah with the like side chops (laughs) um but he feels like like yes he's he's surrounded by like people that that know what they're doing in in this situation like sherlock or like um uh, what's our boy's name? Drake. Um, but like Bill John is like the real, the actual smart guy. Like he knows when something is is too risky to try to Bill do. Bill John's like, this is a bad idea. Yeah. Sherlock's yeah. like, it'll be fine. <laughs> right. Yes. And that exact thing happens a couple of times yep. in this book. Um, and but then Bill John goes on to support his friends anyway, knowing full well that he might get hurt. And of course he does. Um, we see him die, but then he's like one of these mud men that can be <laughs> yep um, yeah. revived and fight for whoever owns one of these guns and then drake ends up owning that gun so at the end we actually see one of these mud men grab the general and and get him away from becky so that that drake can shoot him and i swear that that mud that mud man is bill john like he looks exactly like like it i like that we have multiple types of zombies at this point in the book (laughs) like yeah (laughs) there's the mud men there's the like zombie looking zombies uh the ghost people yes maybe maybe it'd be good to to step back and talk about these guns what each of the six guns does no no brian please that's way too smart for us who are you who do you think you are bill john (laughs) come on So we, we've got the gun that Kate was just talking about, the one that uh, anybody shot with it can be raised as sort of a spectral soldier for the person holding the gun, which is a very interesting twist when it later comes into Drake's possession after he kills the guy who had it before. And the ghosts all become much more powerful because now they're fighting against the the force that killed them in the first place instead mm-hmm. of for it. I thought that was a nice little touch. The gun that Sorry, her name keeps escaping me. Becky. Becky. The gun that she has that she got from her stepdad uh, was the zombie Confederate general's gun. And its whole thing was giving you glimpses of the future. Future and and past, isn't it? Yes, yes. It's future and past. Uh, So that's why she becomes sort of like the the driving force Mm -hmm. of their merry little band, because she's the one who knows where to go next. She she gets the quest for them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, she's the one who is cursed with with prophecy. Mm-hmm. 
uh, one of their guns is is much much less uh, difficult to ex- dis- describe. It's just a a gun that shoots big. Um, <laughs> one of one of the guns is just gun, but what if stronger? Yeah. Uh, there's the eternal life one that the woman the eternal has. life one. Yeah, Missy, the uh, yeah. the general's wife, Missy. Oh, I'm so glad that you remembered her name. I was like, did this character get a first name? I only remembered it because I was reading it. And I went, a oh, fucking course, her name's Missy. Well, it's that usual trope of like, oh, the evil woman is actually an ugly hag because, of course, she's an old ugly woman. Actually, you know, tricking people into thinking she's young and pretty. Yeah, there. That was an unfortunate return to Western trope. Yep. I felt like. Yeah. And not even Western trope, just like American fiction, yeah. particularly. Yeah, I think my most recent experience with that one was actually Game of Thrones. So yeah, um, so that was four of the guns, right? And then we yep. have the gun that was like the flesh eater. Like if you get shot with it, it's just like this. Oh flesh... yeah, it's like a disease. Yes, and then but it kills you like immediately. Like you just kind of dissolve. Um, and then there was another one, that the Hellfire's yeah. one. Yes. Yeah. I think the the flesh melter gun was perhaps the most horrifying for me. Yeah. Yeah. There is some it's it's not nearly as gory as it could have been. Yeah, cuz it is like a cartoony art style, so it it's not shocking in the way that it could have been. Yeah, but they 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 died bad. The people who shot with that gun. Yeah. I do have to say that the beginning of this, like the first few issues even was was kind of confusing um because yeah. you get the first first gunfight where people are like dissolving and also catching on fire and it's very like where is this happening where was this fire where did that come from um and then of course that's just part of the exposition to set up these guns so that's kind of that kind of gets explained but then i was also confused about how much time had passed um and i feel like that did affect my understanding of the story until like the very end um so that'd be like you know that was most of the book because the backstory had this like in ancient history feeling to it. Like it was generations ago Mm -hmm. and the general had been trapped in this well for a really long time. But then like the preacher um, stepfather is still alive, like naturally, like he's dying of old age. And Becky talks about how he like kind of showed up one day in her childhood and became her stepfather. So it's only has to have been like maybe 15 years, but that's not the way that it felt. But it, couldn't have been because the woman missy like when she loses her gun she ages like 50 years yeah but she wasn't young when she got the gun oh i guess i missed that part yeah it it didn't like freeze her at the age she got the gun Uh it made her like supernaturally youthful okay so what did you guys make of that scene with her losing the gun by having her hand trapped off and then she like her, the, is it like a demon now that's like escaped her body? Right. Like what's what is that? What's happening Wild. there? Wild. <laughs> uh, so I, I think what it is is that the the gun's power is is limited to the gun, mm-hmm. so she can only heal while she has the gun on her. So when the gun is cut off with her hand, the only thing that can heal is f- like from the hand. So it it regrew an entire body. <laughs> okay, you think it's a double of her though, not like a new creature demon something different correct okay Uh, that that makes sense that makes sense i think that we're gonna end up finding out that she is like like the guns are are they change you like that is said in the story multiple times and we kind of see that with the other lackeys like the guy with the flesh eater gun is all wrapped up in bandages and the guy with like the boom boom the cannon gun basically the extra Mm -hmm. effective gun he's like very beefy and large and is like partially armored um naturally so i feel like we're gonna find out that this this new person that has grown out of this gun is somehow more powerful than the original person because i didn't they didn't she didn't start as all human you know Um, yeah but i don't know we'll find out so are you guys like really eager for the next one you already requested it put it on hold or are you like yeah maybe i'll pick up the rest or where are you at with the story i'm definitely gonna keep reading it i don't know i wouldn't i wouldn't call it like the like i'm not gonna get off this call and immediately start reading volume two but they they introduced like a terrifying hell gate with guns as keys to the lock and yeah 
I, I don't know how to say no to that. <laughs> I think uh, that we end in a really interesting place. Like, like I was saying before that everybody's situation has kind of changed and all of their goals yeah. have changed. And now we have two of these missies. And I, I think that that's a really interesting place to end the story, just in terms of you were saying character development, um, was kind of lacking in volume one so i'm like okay character development is the focus of volume two let's go um okay <laughs> so so i have actually already requested volume two and three from hoopla but part of that is because it's the last day of october and i had borrows left so that is such a good point i did not think about and should have done that this morning because i would bet money by the time we're done with this recording that my capacity for the like if you don't get on hoopla in the morning with my library system like your sol during the ever since the pandemic started um it says like your you know libraries thing has been hit for the day yeah talking about characters uh being kind of indistinguishable uh this is something that actually uh paul on goodreads pointed out uh, they said the first 12 pages had me flipping back and forth to figure out that Sinclair was not the head Pinkerton. The yes. confusion that held through the Moncrief farm for me. Yep. And I, I had the exact same problem. Yep. Yeah. Like they, they both have the same hat. They both have the same mustache. Yep. And the, the art is, is vague and cartoony enough that those yeah. are kind of like the, the key things that I, I clung to. Yep. So when those matched, I couldn't tell the characters apart. Yeah. Same. Yeah, I, my my differentiating characteristic was that the mustache for Drake was thinner. <laughs> so yes, I agree. <laughs> Very similar. Um, we had some other Goodreads comments too. Um, Lenny said, Bun and Hurt combined di several different genres, Western horror, adventure, and some fantasy for a totally unique story. And they're not a fan of horror, but to them it's enough to add weight to the world and maybe more importantly, high stakes to the guns. Um, yeah, and I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, and I think that the the book also, in a, in a very quick little sequence, establishes that these guns are not new to the world. Right. They have existed as other weapons throughout history. And I do think that that kind of opens you up to like tell those other stories if you if you're if you're Bon and you so choose. Yeah, there. I like the uh, club with the metal wrapped around the top. I'm like, they didn't have metal in the stuff. What? What? <laughs> But yeah, the or maybe it was supposed to be thorns or something like a thorny vine, and I misread it. But yeah, I like Nancy was saying the art of Brian Hurt seemed like too cartoony at first, but then she stopped noticing. Like that's where I was at with it too. Where at first I was like, I don't know about this art, but then I kind of got used to it, and it didn't stand out at all. It didn't stand out like in a good way per se. Of like, wow, this is just blowing me away. Like the art is gorgeous. Like when I was reading Sheets, when we were talking in the first half of the show, that was like mm -hmm. the art kept standing out in a good way, but it wasn't standing out in a bad way either. So it was just kind of like fit, if that makes sense. What did you guys think about the art? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that it it did the job. Yeah. I, I probably wouldn't be buying prints of individual frames anytime soon. Right. But I, I did appreciate that it it found a way to not sugarcoat the horrors of being shot with a gun that rots your flesh away, uh -huh. but it also didn't go full, like, <laughs> invincible, like, we're going to show you every gory drop of blood on yeah. us. I thought that, like, there were a couple of aspects that I was like, why Why is this drawn this way? Like, Missy's eyes were, like, gigantic. Um, but other other than just a couple of little details like that, I feel like the art style kind of worked for for this story with the goal of it not being too gruesome. Like it, like, like you guys were saying, still understandable, still kind of realistic without too much blood. Um, so I think that it actually ended up matching the story pretty well, except for a few little things. Yeah. And I do think that a lot of the undead looked very cool. Yeah. Like they were they were exactly what I picture when I think zombie is like. Mm -hmm picture perfect what these guys were and like the the confederate general who was very like ghost of jacob barley wrapped in chains yeah like floating around and swinging these chains about looked very cool uh so what did you guys think about drake as like a a hero for the book like do we think that he is a hero or is he an anti-hero so, yeah or? he he feels very anti-hero to me yeah, he keep, he mentioned a couple of times that he's got like this dark history that means that he has like the the emotional capability to handle 
owning one of these guns, whereas like another person might maybe not be in the right mi- mind space and the gun could just like destroy them if they tried to pick it up. But wait, um, wait, wait. But Becky is fine. And Becky, we're intended to believe, is a good person, right? Like she's the preacher's yeah. daughter and all that. Yeah, like it's it's one of those things where the mythology sets up where if you pick up if a person dies and they are and their gun is sitting there and they are no longer like connected magically to this gun, if you pick it up, you'll be fine because now you're the new owner. Yeah. But if you try to pick up a gun that is already bound to another person, another living person, then it could just like you could just kind of catch fire or be possessed or something. I wasn't entirely clear what happens, but we yeah, see. Yeah, it seems to burn them. Uh, yeah, like we see Drake use one of the guns that he doesn't own, and like his hand burns, but he's able to shoot it. Yeah, I guess I, especially the scene early on, sets him up with the ghost tree of the all the hanging men uh, ghosts, and he makes a deal with them, and then promptly breaks it because he could make money selling the map to them. So you know, screw you, you're not getting an eternal rest because uh, I could yeah. make some money, and that to me. Um, felt very intentional of like we're supposed to see that this is who he is kind of thing and he's out for himself and his word can't be trusted and then he sort of um, shows us that again with Becky where he you know takes her to the maw you know that that he knows is like where there's going to be you know danger and risk for her but he wants the treasure there and he's not upfront about that's why they're going there Certainly, he seems to have a change of heart where he's like, oh, we're unlocking Hell Beast, not treasure. Okay, never mind. Um, <laughs> but, like, that's still, like, to say, it seems pretty self motivated of, like, to save his own skin versus, uh, and to get get revenge on uh, the, the general versus, like, out of the goodness and kindness of his heart. Like, even at the very end, we see them living it up uh, in what, New Orleans? And it's because he sold that map like that he promised to destroy. So I don't think we're intended to believe he's like become a good person or something. Yeah, it's it's very tough to in a story that actually features the Pinkertons to be like the most disgusting example of capitalism. Right. But yeah, that's a really good point that like he could let these ghosts rest forever. But instead, he chooses to make a buck. Yep. I don't know. Did did you guys feel anti-hero or were you more like hero in a morally ambiguous world sort of situation? I would agree with anti-hero. Okay. Yeah. I Honestly, I think it's a stretch to even get him that far. Yeah. <laughs> I think that he might have to settle for the term protagonist and, and be done. <laughs> there you go. Yes, very good. <laughs> like he's, he's certainly not a villain, but I I don't think that because like even with an anti-hero there's this idea that they're doing questionable things for the greater good or to to right. stop somebody who's even worse and and i guess he is trying to stop you know a, a flying undead confederate general so that's certainly worse than him like you said it's it, it does seem more like he he's not trying to defeat evil for the sake of defeating evil he's trying to defeat evil because evil is coming to kick his ass right so uh, let's, let's get into uh, wild wild speculation territory. I want to know, what do you guys think is going to happen from here? I think that it's going to come down to the now three women at the end of the, at the very end of the story. I think that there's going to be some kind of um, confrontation there because you've got Becky, who is our, our good girl. And then you have the the young Missy, who is now regrown from the gun, who was like our our bad girl, we see young Missy go away with the general at the end, if I recall. Um, and then we have old Missy, who is missing a hand now. And I think that we're going to get into like her her story where this leaves her. Um, I don't think that she's just kind of gonna gonna die and that's it. I think that something's gonna happen there. I'll be honest, I thought she died. <laughs> yeah, I thought that she like got old and turned to dust yeah. after the hand got cut off. Oh yeah, she definitely got like very old. So she didn't she turn just dust? have died of old age immediately. Yeah. I don't think so. Okay, I, I think I this will be a gotta catch them all situation where volume two will be him trying to get more guns. Oh yeah, for sure. I think that we're gonna end up with. Um... Oh, that's actually really interesting because yeah, the only gun that he doesn't have now 
Drake doesn't have is the one that Missy has and then the one that Becky has. He had five. I so, thought yeah. he had four. So there should be one more he doesn't have. There, there's the one Becky has and the one Missy has. And there's only, there's only six guns. He, he, had, he had five guns. Guys, I can't, do, one guys, point. guys I can't do math. Guys. <laughs> I, I, I was confused at one point because he had five yeah. guns stuck into yeah. his pants. And I realized yeah. that, oh, one yeah. of those is just his gun gun. How about you, Brian? What do you think? Uh, I I think that we're gonna we're gonna get a Buffy the Vampire Slayer scenario, <laughs> okay. where the only way to to truly stop evil is going to be to open that gate and go into it, yeah. and they're gonna have to destroy the guns in Mount Doom. One does not. It's like Chekhov's Hellgate. Like one does not yeah. simply show a Hellgate and then not have it open at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is this series continuing to be ongoing or is it stopped at this point? Is it finished? It's a great question. I have no idea. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Danny says the series is done. Thank yeah. you, Danny. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Danny. <laughs> Hero we don't deserve. Uh, very cool. Well, thank you guys very much for joining me. Uh, I think that we're pretty well wrapped up here unless somebody else has a closing thought for us. Nope. Very cool. Well, you can join us here again next week where Mike, Paul, and Kara will be reading Final Crisis in order to put Mike through a crisis of his own. <laughs> in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Kate at Kate Elfier. You can follow me at Brianhead. And you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. This episode first aired on Patreon and is possible because of our wonderful Patreons. Join today for exclusive series like IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, and more. Join now at patreon.com backslash IRCB podcast. If you haven't already, please rate and review our show. We would love five stars on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us spread the word about IRCB. Join the IRCB Discord community to chat comics and more and listen to our episodes live as we record. Check out the link in the show notes. And it would help us a lot if you tell your friends or your local comic shop about the show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do the music for our show. Xander is a cool guy. He's, the, he's our editor, and he is the rootinest, tootinest cowpoke I know. <laughs> Thank you to Kate and Kate for joining me. Thank you to Mike and Xander for everything you do for the show. Thank you to our wonderful listeners. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you. Yeah.